And welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from the tasting room at the Boone's Farm Institute of Oneology, dedicated to putting fine southern North Dakotan wines on the map, located here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we're looking at the discovery of wine flavored with vanilla from Iron Age Jerusalem. Dated to the late 7th or early 6th century BCE, the period right before the Babylonian conquest, do these wines attest to the far-flung trade connections of Jerusalemite elites, or just their need to flavor crappy local wine with fancy additives? How does an exotic commodity like vanilla travel from its place of origin in East Africa, or even India, all the way to the humble capital city of Jerusalem, far away from any trade routes? The real question is, what does vanilla wine taste like, and... Do we really want to know? Okay. Okay. So here's, here's the lightning round. Um, favorite beverage and why? Ooh. Hmm. Favorite beverage and why? Well, boy, that's a very multivalent question. <laughs> <laughs> Where? <laughs> Yeah, nothing but, if not multivalent today. I mean, you know, obviously what one would, you know, recognize as, a, as an appropriate answer would be, oh, I had this extraordinary, you know, 25-year-old, you know, peaty, multi-scotch, one single, you know, blah, blah, single origin, or, <clears throat> you know, I had a $200 bottle of wine. Right. right. All those are good things. Right. But I'm going to go with Limeade. Oh, interesting. Oh. I mean, I can't think of anything better than limeade. Oh, very interesting. That is yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Actually, <clears throat> limeade with, with seltzer in it. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, well, if they didn't think I was an Alta Cocker before. <laughs> well, See, I'm just going to say seltzer. Oh, there you go. Not even okay. with a little... Lemon or lime? Come on. Ah, but here, here, here it gets interesting <laughs> because I'm reminded of a conversation that you and I had sometime back in the 20th century about the ideal situation, which would be to swim in a giant pool of Always. seltzer. Always. Always. It's been my dream. It's been <laughs> with, my dream since high school. With limes and lemons just kind of floating around. Could anything be better? Isn't that the most refreshing notion ever? Yeah. You swim in a pool filled with seltzer. It stuck with me all the these decades. You drink, you swim, you swim, you drink. Bubbles are effervescing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I cannot think of a better thing. Wow. Right? Wow. Well, I'm glad you two are on the same page. Well, we, we sometimes are. Yeah. Sometimes. Uh, I mean, that's, that's impressive, honestly. And and you, dear? Uh, well, I'll, dear I'll give, yes. Yeah, professor? So, so, <laughs> I was going right to say, now, you know, a lot of people favorite, don't realize you're married. <laughs> my favorite beverage right now, these days, is a little bit of lemon juice, a little bit of honey, and a lot of hot water. <laughs> <laughs> basically, it's, it's basically the, the go-to beverage of the 19th century shtetl. That's right. correct. That is very much correct. But so I will give a different answer. Hot water with a little lemon in it. That's right. about right. But, but the honey is important too. I know it's not so well, good. That's because you're still young. <laughs> right. <laughs> so another, another 10 years, it's just going to be hot water. That's When I was younger, Coke was definitely my favorite beverage. And just, I'm going to throw it out there. I briefly really liked 
vanilla Coke. And I, thought I, I thought I should throw that out there. Yeah. Today's I topic. think I should. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. I never liked the cherry Coke, but the vanilla Coke was pretty good. Yeah, an abomination. You know, it's um, also good if you put lemon juice into plain Coke. That's also very good. <laughs> Basically curdling it. <laughs> Um, you wouldn't even new, need residue analysis. You could, <laughs> you could just smell that a thousand years later. That's probably true. Do, yeah. do, do either of you have a favorite wine? <laughs> I want to go home. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> My feet hurt. <laughs> I was wow, thinking more. This is, this is really, we're, we're literally aging as we talk. <laughs> we're reversing Benjamin Button. It's a special Alta Cocker edition. Yeah, really. I was looking for something more along the line of a Cabernet or a Beaujolais. Oh, I love a good Beaujolais. I love a spring Beaujolais, and I love yeah, that's good. I second that. Yeah, something fruity and naive, (laughs) but not too fruity, not too sweet. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, that kind of remark can get you in a lot of trouble pretty quickly. Maybe we ought to start talking about. <laughs> I'd, have, I'd, have to be a, I'd have to be a congressman from Tennessee to <laughs> to really say that. Okay. All right. All well, right. <laughs> what were we talking about? We're talking about. <clears throat> we're talking about vanilla. We're about to start talking about vanilla found in um, jars, ancient jars. Well, actually. We're talking about vanilla flavored wine right. found in jars dated to the uh, Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem in various found in various elite quarters, recovered by our friends the boffins with their <laughs> their huge devices. <laughs> you know, they're not just sniffing these shirts to get the the essence. They're using science. Yeah. This and is, lo and this behold, is like, this is it, like the level of science that's eventually going to lead to doom to all of those <laughs> devices that, that are found in the, in doom. Oh. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. So we, we, we're not quite at the level of bending space in order to <laughs> No, but this is where it starts. I guess. I don't think I've seen Dune. Reference is lost. You can read the book. Oh, even, I forgot this. I forgot you're a no Dune household. No, I saw the, well, I, I haven't read the, the book, but I'm being the only person in my generation who haven't, but I have seen the, both of the movies. Okay. Did you see the, the new movie? I'm watching it. I, I need to really block out a significant parsec of time and space to really experience <laughs> it. All right. Well, we'll discuss it in an upcoming episode then. Okay. Um, Okay, what were we talking about? We were talking about <laughs> the these stars that have traces of <clears throat> that were found in destruction levels in Jerusalem, two right. different places in, right, in, within right, the right. same little area of Jerusalem. First thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> My first thought is that if we read the article, the actual you know scientific publications, mm-hmm. and we were we were, got confused and we thought vanillin was different than vanilla. And we were talking about some strange substance the whole time, not realizing it was actually just vanilla. It is confusing for, for, for people like us. But, but, we, but we, I think we understand that, you know, they're, they're analyzing little molecules of vanillin, which... <laughs> translate into the bottle of vanilla in my in my spice cabinet exactly yeah right so Um, is it a good flavor combination okay so that's the first thing yeah that's an interesting question and rachel you already brought up the combination of vanilla and coke right but being as we are of a persuasion that has long had you know affinities for cream soda not Mm. me personally is this right. really the origins of, of, of cream soda? Uh, yeah, of cream soda. Is it the origins of bad wine at Passover, which we're all going to soon experience? Um, you know, there are many origin stories here. <laughs> you know, when did they start? When did kosher wine start being boiled? Can they? Can the scientists, the boffins, tell us that? Is this right. stuff mivushal, or you Ooh. know, 
Right. Well, actually, they did. There was one jar that seems to have been exposed to fire. Right. And they think it was on the second floor. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, That that's a very good point. The origins of Mivushal maybe were. (laughs) (laughs) Not really, because it's led to the downfall of the of you know of Jews Mm -hmm. and wine. It's also made wine extra super expensive. Right. Well, look, you know, look, there there are plenty of uh, kosher wines out there of the non Manischewitz (laughs) variety that are top notch, first rate, and they do it. You know, they right. But that's that's relatively recent. Right. It's the last. 50 years or something. I don't know. Right. Besides, it, let's not lose sight of the fact it was only one jar that seems to have hit the high <laughs> temperature. And that seems to be from chance from how it fell during the fire as opposed to the others. Um, but. All right. So, but, but you, we want to get serious here. Is that, is that the intent? Do we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so firstly, I guess the big question that we can ask is, was this such a, hugely bad idea that, that it was that that it began in the iron age and it ended in the iron age did they stop doing this because you don't use vanilla as a flavor enhancer now right ah, that's I, a very interesting question <clears throat> right i have been doing um research <laughs> <laughs> um explicitly forbidden by the charter of, of the podcast but right. <clears throat> there are there are wines that are aged in oak barrels, which well, that's different, and uh, which have vanilla right. notes, that's and correct. and because of the vanillin in the, in the um, so you you got right. your Chardonnays, you got your Tokais, <laughs> your Gewürztraminers, <laughs> okay, your Zinfandels, right. your Malbecs. That's correct, and I think that was a process of the of uh, aging them in oak, mm-hmm. and then deciding well, being as we only have really oak um, kegs, caskets, whatever they are, casks, um, mm-hmm. that we're going to say that this is a good taste, but it's not adding vanilla. Right. It's and not, this is specifically one of these articles. It's incidental to the oaking process. Right. Oaking leaves a vanillin chemical compound, but these had three different molecules, meaning it was vanilla itself, which was in these jars that were analyzed. And being as it probably wasn't vanilla extract, it was probably somebody with a couple of beans. You got the beans, Shmuel? Right. <laughs> Pop them in. Throw them in. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, here's something. I don't want to leave off the flavor question because I think that's an important question. But um, it was emphasized that these are large capacity jars. And um, I was thinking, you know what? They're, they're doing this to like all their wine. So everybody has to be drinking this vanilla flavored wine. Um, That's right. Yeah, as, as opposed to like when you mull wine, you'll mull wine for a small group of people. Whoever wants it mulled, that's fine. Whoever doesn't, doesn't have to have it mulled. Um, Good point. Yeah, so so that's, I don't know what to make of that. Um, well, it's, it's, it's part of the process of centralization. Everybody well, has to drink this same wine with the- Right, right. Okay, yeah. but it-, it <clears throat> these particular jars, these samples come from what seem to be elite contexts. Right. So maybe it's a, an elite thing. It's a, it's a, you're, you're drinking that unvanillaed wine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're drinking this, you know, cool stuff with. Right. Right. That's also an interesting point. We're and then I'll the also bring wine. up something which I should save, but I won't, um, <laughs> which is so, so some of these jars, all of them, some of them, uh, were interchange not interchangeably, but they were alternating using them for wine storage and olive oil yes. storage. Right. And this to me is evidence that they had that they didn't care what they were doing. This because to if me, they really yeah. cared, they would have, I mean, yes, it's it's expensive to make these big jars. It's hard to move them around. But if you really cared about the integrity of the taste of the wine, and you the olive oil using leftover oil jars. Correct. You would be saying, nope, we're going to make a special container and we're going to devote this container just to our vanilla flavored wine. I agree a hundred percent. Right. And so, so they were a little sloppy. 
a little sloppy. What, what, I mean, what kind of elite allows this to happen? I mean, I'm not much of a wine connoisseur nor an olive oil connoisseur, but you want to keep these flavors separate. And if you're an elite, especially, you should know this, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, it, it, it says something about the nature of taste and good taste and taste buds in, in these periods, <laughs> uh, for one thing. But I have a, I have a question <clears throat> about um, the, the manufacture of wine. There are, that we have all, olive oil presses out the wazoo in the Southern Levant. We have wine with seem to be wine presses, but were, were these wines, you know, squoze the the grapes squozen (laughs) 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 or by whatever process and then put directly into jars. Are they aged? We have no evidence for casks of any kind, wooden containers, how do you transport these things? And well, are they yeah? Are they aged? The are they and are they being aged? Are they just drinking fresh fruity Beaujolais, or are they letting these things sit for years? Well, obviously, we're you know, this is a long time ago, <laughs> far far away. Well, but I was intrigued that that there was some kind of speculation that some of these things might contain white wine. Right. And white wine is not, is not aged as such in the same way. Right. Um, it's right. going to be, it's going to be young. It's going to be, you know, fresher to, to market. And maybe there's a production process or a, a, a you know, supply chain that we're seeing that <clears throat> your, you know, <laughs> your delivery is here. We're just going to put it into whatever big jar you have in your house. We don't really care if it was last week's, oil jar but you know we were on the clock lady (laughs) we've got deliveries to make i don't know i would fire the person who would be just using last week's oil jars i think that would just be completely inappropriate for for elites to be letting that happen um just to save time or money that's well but we also know from from you know other near eastern texts especially assyrian neo-assyrian texts that all of all of these kinds of beverages, wines and beers and whatever else, they're all being spiced and flavored with all sorts of stuff, which suggests two things. One, that you're showing off with your exotic additives and also that the base material may not taste all that great and it needs to be spiced up for consumption. Right. And every time one of these breweries uses some kind of you know Mesopotamian beer recipe, the um, the result is always something that is less than good, and and when they want to go into production, they sort of have to modernize it. Mm-hmm. Interesting point. Maybe we just don't have the robust taste buds of our of our ancestors. Well, they, were, they were also dealing in a commodity that they didn't have a lot of familiarity or the technology to really yeah greatly improve it. I you do know. like the point you made about, about showing off your, your wealth, your flavoring and who cares if it's good, as long as you can show off that you got this far away ingredient. Right. And that's where the vanilla comes in because it is a far away ingredient. It's coming either from East Africa or it's coming from India. Either way, it's a, it's coming a, a long distance over a complicated route, a spice route, let's call it. <laughs> <laughs> but how complicated was it? There, it's down the line. There's right. a market. There's a market for all this stuff. Right. Now, okay. Let's but, not let's not overcomplicate. For God's sakes, can we stop overcomplicating the past to where it's completely un, unknowable? It's just a couple of guys trying to know this stuff, and then we talk about how incredibly complex it is. You know, I mean, what's the what's our tagline? It's, um, it's not rocket science. There you go. <laughs> okay, I let's mean, not say complicated. Let's just say. Um, long distance right down the yeah. line long distance yeah. right but they clearly know that there's a market for all this stuff yeah. and for incense right. and all this stuff is moving um <clears throat> well let me ask you this um because you're the the well-traveled person uh, what is <laughs> what does frankincense smell like i know what a frankenberry smells like <laughs> <laughs> but i have some I, you know what i can always 
I, I'm sorry. I have some incense that I bought from Whole Foods that's frankincense. I don't think I don't think that's real. A <laughs> and B, it stinks. And what about myrrh? Myrrh isn't isn't it just the smell of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre? Isn't that? I assume that's what. I guess I just can't really describe it or you know I, recollect I, it. Have you have you smelled either on your travels? I assume at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, I smelled both. Okay. Yeah, probably. Right. Well, then we all have. But... Yeah. Well, my sinuses are <laughs> kind of messed up at this point. So but, let's uh, talk about this issue of elite, because that, of course, it is in the, at a fundamental <laughs> level, the elites are participating in this, and right. they are storing it in, in large quantities, and it's certainly found in you know some kind of important administrative center in Jerusalem. So about all of that, I think, is, is fine. But we have no idea if wine is a regular part of the, you know, of the middle class or lower class, the agrarian substrata, if it's part of their lifestyle too. And it could well be. Mm -hmm. I mean, why are we assuming it's just elite when it could be like, you know, medieval and early modern and modern France where everybody drinks wine? Right. Or and or beer because or all, beer. right because all the water is contaminated right. and exactly. you'll die. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> isn't it? And there are no. There is no seltzer. Isn't it easier and a quicker process to make beer than it is to make wine? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I have to... in my department who make it, and you know, <laughs> so I got to assume it's pretty easy if a historian can conjure right. up a brew. Makes makes wine or makes beer. Beer. Beer, right, right, right. Um, right. So, so beer is something that we associate with the masses because it's easier to make. Um, ergo, wine we associate with the upper classes. Right, but I'm saying, is that upside down? Because in oh. you know early modern and modern Europe, they're drinking, they make wine and drink wine at all yeah. levels of society. Yes, I don't know enough about early modern Europe. How how did they how did the peasants afford the wine? I well, I think they were just making it. Yeah, I think they're, they're making, making it. it. They're, they're taking the time and the effort to make it. And if you well, it's to, not so much effort. You you, you get a bunch of grapes, you squish them. Yeah. Now I'm thinking of I Love Lucy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she if, you to, was, if you go to the Republic of Georgia, every household makes its own wine. Okay. And they okay. just store it in plastic jugs in their refrigerator. And you, and you, you know, you go to a place and you ask for wine and they just open up a cooler and bring out the plastic jug and you're drinking wine. I think we need to try some experimental archaeology here. <laughs> so I'm, I'm wondering about this whole elite construction because okay. we only have it in one, you know, in one context. Well, that's why I think it's the, it's the, the flavoring in this particular situation and that it makes it the, right. And it could be the unique flavoring. maybe. Right. But, but yeah. let's also review some of the other unique kind of cool things that have come out of Jerusalem excavations in these, these layers, earlier layers in recent years, most notably fossil teeth, fossil shark teeth right. that somebody mm -hmm. collected. Right. And, yeah. and I remember reviewing one of the City of David uh, reports many, many, many years ago. And um, there was lots of evidence of dried fish from both the Mediterranean right. and the Red okay. Sea. So, and the point there was, you know, oh, this dried fish from exotic locales is, is you know, being imported into Jerusalem. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Right. You, you, no, have I, right I, you have writing. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is a good point because, and, and one of the articles mentioned that, you know, Jerusalem is part of the trade route. And it's Jerusalem, not though. It's no, not. It's not, okay, exactly. But it's not directly part of the trade route, but it's an important enough capital city. Well, either you are or you aren't. <laughs> okay, you don't need to go through Jerusalem to right. get from Egypt to Syria, Mesopotamia. You don't However, need to go, go through Jerusalem to get anywhere except <laughs> the Judean desert. Well, that's true. Right. Jerusalem However, is, is the most unstrategic location for anything. So you're making my point. Good. So, right, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming together now. <laughs> so, so they're deliberately going out of their way to put Jerusalem on the trade route because Jerusalem is important enough to exactly. deliver. Well, but I, I, I would put it this way, that all capital cities accumulate crazy kinds of 
exotic stuff because that's what that's the way for the elites and it's i think this is a legitimate use of that term this is the way for them to demonstrate their eliteness by having you know oh it's we we have vanilla flavored wine and you can drink it on our on our stone toilet and (laughs) and and look at our carved hippopotamus ivory you know balustrades canopies with smoked fish (laughs) right exactly and exactly like in washington or london or paris or wherever it is today right Decadent but whoever nonsense. organizes the the caravans or whoever the they report to actually you know people are saying yeah go through jerusalem as opposed to don't go through jerusalem it's a little backwater nothing skip well that. i don't think it's go through jerusalem i think are we going to send this stuff up to jerusalem as long as they get paid they'll send it anywhere it's okay. like amazon just pay them and you can get whatever you want okay okay good point that yeah, is and i think point. that's i think that's the point I think the point is, is that there are elites in Jerusalem who have enough, um, you know, organizational capacity and understand what elite goods are, and they put in an order and they get their stuff. Okay. No, I like that. I like that very much. It's not on a route. So it doesn't necessarily mean that others consider them so worthwhile to stop. It just means they're willing to pay to get, and they can pay to get the But the But the consumer knows what kinds of products will conceivably set them off from the hoi polloi. Um, or they just like wine with vanilla and they're willing to pay for it. Right. Is, Can we go back is, to that Jerusalem, is Jerusalem a company town? Is it just filled with administrators? And we know that by the reign of Hezekiah, it's not. That its population is engorged and they're creating suburbs and they're moving the walls out. So right. it's got a big population by the end of the 7th Certainly by the end of the seventh century, it's got a big population and, you know, everyone is probably a little bit edgy, right? You know, the the Assyrians were one issue. That was a while ago. Now it's the Babylonians. Everyone's kind of on edge. And, you know, sure, wine is probably going to be very, very uh, popular to just, you know, take the edge off as all these empires are, you know, (laughs) continually uh, threatening you. Right. That's a good point. But we also don't have a great sample from other sites and here it is here it's useful to mention one site where there is a kind of other sample and that's megiddo from a tomb a 17th century tomb middle bronze age tomb uh, where there's vanilla vanillin that was found and nobody knows exactly what it was used for was it was a flavoring was it a perfume but, and that we should point out was in little juglets. It wasn't in big storage jars. So it was, it could have been anything. It could have been added to anything or, or the plant. Right. This, is, this is right up your alley, um, Rachel, because it's, it's part of a uh, tomb assemblage. Yeah. Right. You could have all sorts of, uh, you know, per- functions regarding right. mortuary practices and post-mortuary practices. Absolutely. And it was a wealthy tomb. It had lots of jewelry and stuff. And so it also had these fancy, apparently vanilla flavored, Oil something. Or something or vanilla scented or right right like, right it could have been perfume it could have been could have been anything um right. but certainly it's elite yeah right um, but i and i think there the big thing is is that you know it's it's increasing it's 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 exponentially um enlarging the map of bronze age international trade which now is pretty busy it's a pretty busy map that bronze age map. that's true with right. products that we never ever dreamt of moving vast distances um, in, in circulating in greater uh, quantities. Right. And I think that's the cool thing about all this residue analysis. We are finding right. out that there's a lot more. I mean, we could assume before this that there was a lot of movement down the line, but now right. we know for sure. Yeah, this right. residue analysis is rewriting the book. Right. And for, for the young person out there listening, it, it's <laughs> perhaps useful to remember that when when your hosts were in graduate school, there was no <laughs> residue <laughs> analysis. And the longest distance trade good, good or material was lapis lazuli that came from Barakshan, <laughs> which we love saying. <laughs> that was really part of the thrill. But um, the, the reason we knew about it, because it's a rock. Right, exactly. <laughs> and it was well-preserved. Right, right. And, and it's a popular stone that got incorporated <laughs> into lots of prestige items. Right. But... Right. Again, the invisible world that, and it just, it, it pains me to think about how much 
evidence, 150 years of archaeology is just tossed out because we couldn't do residue analysis. Yeah. Uh, elite tombs and regular people's tombs and palaces and, you know, uh, yeah. everybody's right. like domestic areas with store jars and cooking pots. Right. Right. Well, see, that would be very interesting, actually, if somebody tried to do residue analysis of, you know, just regular old store jars found in non-elite areas. Well, they're um, starting to do that kind of right. thing. Yeah, I was now say, now I'm, we need to, to compare. Um, yeah. Yeah. So maybe everybody was flavoring everything with vanilla. Well, that's the thing. Is this the tip of the iceberg? Is this right. the tip of the vanilla it's a, iceberg? It's a vanilla iceberg. <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah, I, I saw them at the garden one time. The vanilla iceberg. <laughs> vanilla icebergs. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, so so the exotic flavors and smells were what we think are exotic. Maybe they are, and maybe they aren't. Maybe this is a good solid middle class thing vanilla um but there's something even fancier that uh that the real elites were using over in the palaces or over in the the super yeah. upper class they were smoking the good stuff that's what i'm waiting for i'm waiting for the fusion of the marijuana from arad mm -hmm. and the cinnamon i mean the uh, vanilla wine from jerusalem right to come together <laughs> Right. right. It's the edibles of the, uh, exactly. of the Iron Age. Right. Yeah. Um, while we're talking about elites, if we're still talking about elites, we should point out that some of these jugs, some of these jars had rosettes <laughs> stamped on them, you know, signs that this is part of the official government administrative. But isn't it a little, of... isn't it a little depressing to think that I think out of the 13 jars they tested, what, six had rosettes? Yes, yeah, and everyone's like saying, "Oh, the rosette is an administrative technique," which it was, right? But obviously, it wasn't a very consistent one. It, that's true, right? and that's what bugs me. Yeah, that's what bothers me is that everybody says, "Oh, the rosettes—it's an administrative technique." Yes, it is, but it's not applied in any kind of knowable way. It's yeah. like a few jars had it, a few jars didn't. They're all found together. They used it for olive oil. They used it for wine. It's right. like they're pretty, you know haphazard about everything. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And I'm thinking of my Tupperware closet where you know, <laughs> yeah. you tried out. You're not the king of anything. No offense, Rachel. <laughs> you're not the king. You're not, you're, your house That's is not the point. capital of a polity. That's true. So it doesn't matter if my Tupperware closet is mismatched. It's not a good analogy. Is that what no, you're saying? It's a good analogy if you want to say that the, that the government in Jerusalem in the Iron Age too is basically functioning at the same level as my kitchen or your kitchen. <laughs> well, I was going to actually start out by saying everybody's Tupperware starts out with this neat, organized, well-matched collection. But then, you know, you lose some here because you, you, you bring them over to somebody else's house and you never get them back and you gain things that have come in. Well, that's true. Yeah. And we've never been invaded by the Assyrians in the meantime. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Um, you know, and we're waiting for the Babylonians and trying to reassemble our Tupperware after, <laughs> after right. some, or after some kind of big religious reform or, well, we do, but we would put olive oil into a Tupperware. And then a couple of weeks later we would put, I don't know what, but something that clearly, you know, doesn't go with olive oil. That, well, yeah, but our actually, Tupperware... that really bugs me, honestly. Yeah. That bugs me. It's if they because... just go all the way out of, you know, just, uh, we would do that in Tupperware because it's plastic and you can wash it pretty well. But with these porous clay jars, you know, you're not going to get the yeah. every last bit out. You know, you're not. That was perfect. Exactly. Well, that's, a, that's a pretty harsh criticism of our Iron Age predecessors. I, Zedekiah, I you know, you're not going to get the olive oil out of the jars. Why do you put the vanilla pods in it? It's just not, there's no point. Exactly. Well, there, there is another potential explanation that I don't think the authors looked at and maybe, maybe they did, but you know, if you're, if you have a jar full of, a, of a liquid like wine, you could put a, a little layer of olive oil on top to seal it. That'll float on top to keep the bugs out and yeah. stuff like that. I think there, in one of the articles, they mentioned uh, beeswax sealant. Yeah, they yeah. did. Yeah. They did. Olive oil wouldn't, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you don't put olive oil on top of your little plastic container of feta in the refrigerator. No, I make no. sure my feta is covered in the water. Yeah, I don't put olive oil in it. No. Yeah, 
but and also that's a cheese. It's not right. a cheese. It's, it's not a beverage. It's a strong cheese. It's a cheese that can that can stand up to olive oil. That's true. Yeah, that's true. A lot of cheeses can't. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> we we haven't really talked about cheeses in no, this in this series. Have to wait we? until the residue people tell us that they find a cheese residue. Yeah, right. if yeah. you're out there dairy, listening, a dairy episode. A dairy, dairy episode. episode. <laughs> <laughs> we're very we'll intolerant to... of dairy episodes <laughs> we'll have to wait to shavuos for the dairy episode. oh that's true oh, excellent. yeah yes. there'll be some kind of cheesecake tied tie in right um but, but the, you know i will say we'll, we'll put it this way we should note mm-hmm. that every passover there's always a big story that's released of course and, and that yeah, has sure. some kind of tie-in Absolutely. and this is the this is the uh, this year's tie-in you think this isn't this year's tie-in? None of these articles have mentioned. Um, no, but oh, so you think we're going to get a bigger one in the next week or two? I think we're going to get something we that might. actually, yeah, says Passover Exodus or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, can we? Some kind of receipt that says, you know, or maybe some kind of little lead tablet that will. That would do it. <laughs> which, we, which we now Take... have learned. Not only did they find a little lead tablet, but they found an iron iron. Iron stylus. <laughs> oh, I didn't, getting I didn't the whole scribal kit <clears throat> magically in a in a uh, somehow in the excavation of a site they missed an iron stylus. Well, it's a good thing we didn't choose to do that topic for this podcast. I know. I just wanted to squeeze that in there. <laughs> well, I think the jury's still out. <laughs> <laughs> Because of the iterative nature of scientific inquiry, <laughs> we can ne- never really be proven wrong about things. So, so is the use of vanilla at this early period? Is that going to give us, you know, is that going to give us any insight into the uh, into cream in, into the cream cream soda and you know creamsicles <clears throat> and all of these kinds of things? There's probably some kind of genetic predisposition that was developed in these early populations to appreciate vanilla flavored um, items, beverages, confections. Haven't you always felt that the whole cream soda thing originates with hundreds of years in Eastern Europe? I mean, I've always associated it with all this Ashkenazi other stuff. Why? Something to cleanse your palate after herring. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't How, see a direct, I don't see a direct connection from, of palates from the iron age straight through to 20th century tastes. I'm sorry. It's I another, mean, we need another grant. Because then, then you got to talk about where did other Passover traditional, like, you know, jello with fruit float floating in it. Where did that come from? <laughs> where did jello come from? Where did I mean, whoever came up with jello? Like, let's extract the gelatinous material from bone matter. And, yeah. And create, I mean, I think, I think it's, I think it came from France, actually. Okay. Like a, like a dandian aspic. Yeah. <laughs> like a lark's tongue in aspic. <laughs> well, but maybe that's exactly the, the, the point. And I don't think, you know, certainly they're using every points, really. <laughs> no, well, they're using every conceivable part of the, right. Of yeah. the product. And they're experimenting with ways of configuring them into ever more bizarre kinds of kinds of concoctions. Exactly. Um, yes, I'm sure they started by smearing it under on their bodies, and they said, "No, this isn't good. <laughs> Let's try cooking with it." Oh, this is interesting. Right. Yeah. That was always my question about the 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 origins of mayonnaise. Mayonnaise, right? Oh, That's the classic. Like, like who together? Who who invented that? I always imagine it was invented at, you know, the court of the Sun King. Yeah, right. And then somebody said, "I, you try it. I'm not trying that." Yeah, really. Look at that stuff. Ew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's mm. let's tame it with some with some ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Ooh, Russian it... dressing. This is nice. That's right. I assume I assume the name Russian dressing is going to have to go. Oh, probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Be, but, we, yeah. but we have a nice substitute, Thousand Island. Okay. Right. Okay, right. that helps. Right. Yeah. Right. But let's get back to wine. Good idea. Um, would you like to put vanilla in your wine? I mean, is that something we should be trying? I'm not trying that. I like a dry wine. 
not a lot of not well i do like beaujolais and that's floral i don't know these so many of these kinds of alex you brought up very early this you know sense of taste so so much of that is 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 manufactured and consented to by the industry you know like for coffee now you Mm. know if if you if you or get used to a specific kind of espresso, then that's what you think espresso should taste like. And it's, you know, that's all being done by counterculture and intelligentsia and everybody else. And it's the same thing with bourbon. You know, they, if would, you know, uh, Pappy Van Winkle says, this is what great bourbon tastes like, then everybody signs off on it because of the name. Yeah. Right. And we would be happy to have sponsors. Right. From the bourbon industry. Or from um, the wine industry. Or from and the wine, wine industry. Yeah. And we would be able to have a better informed discussion <laughs> with the backing of the wine industry. So right. I'm just going to throw that out there. Well, I mean, today when we do mold wine, we think of spices, you know, maybe, I don't know, cinnamon. Um, um, nutmeg. Nutmeg, nutmeg, yeah. yeah. Mace. All spice. Mace, right. All spice. Yeah. That sounds much more appealing when you're dealing, well, when you're dealing with red wine, obviously, um, and you're mulling it. Um, and by the way, for mulling wine, you don't have to bring it up to a thousand degrees. <laughs> Helpful <laughs> hint. <laughs> right. Uh, and, okay, um, but that's a good, but that's a good um, example, I think. So um, cinnamon comes from, cinnamon is an old world spice, I believe. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, not Southeast, yeah, Southeast Asia, I think. Yeah, but it's but it's Southeast Asian. It's not right. it's not West Asian. Right. Um, nutmeg and mace are also uh, Indian Ocean right. kind of spices, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, along with black pepper and stuff like that. Right. So you know these uh, these things were not uniformly they they have a timeline when they reached the rest of the world. And and so on, and tastes accordingly were were changed, both kind of intrinsically on, on the basis of yeah okay this tastes acceptable to good, and also on the basis of yeah we're going to show off by putting right. <laughs> you know this right. exotic stuff in our in our otherwise mediocre to crappy wine right fancy it up right. Yep. And then there's the whole the whole idea of you know when you're fancying something up you feel so sophisticated right if you have your mulled wine or whatever um, it's not just sipping you know your plonk yeah two buck chuck or whatever it was whatever it was called so I guess the bottom line is that humans always find a way to fancy up whatever it is that they're consuming in order to you know, keep up with the Joneses so, next door. So the, the hipster mentality is almost hardwired in us. Mm. Well, point. is it, is it hipster or is it a kind of bourgeois mentality? Just really, it's really the same thing. I was going to say, ultimately it's the same thing. The same. Don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> well, here's, out. I want to take this a slightly different direction though. Please, um, please. because <laughs> <laughs> this direction, obviously. Why, yeah. why do we all have vanilla in our cabinets today? It's because we use it for baking, right? That's what we think of when we think of vanilla. So right. is, are we just hitting a, you know, when did people figure out that vanilla is good for baking, that it, it's a good flavor ingredient for, for baking? Because, um, you know, okay, here it is in wine in those juglets in Megiddo in the end of the Middle Bronze Age, it was in juglets. We don't know what, it, well, it could have just been, as we said, like just a fragrance, but whatever it was, it wasn't in wine then. Um, and what, so what are they using it for? And, and shouldn't they be baking with, maybe we should go on a whole jag about baking in it. Baking, yeah. Yeah. You think they were baking? I mean, really baking, you know, baking something. I mean, Jeremiah mentioned in their mentions of, of cakes baked for, Asher, I guess. So um, what did they use as a sweetening agent? Some kind of crystallized date? Honey? I don't yeah, know. Dates, honey, date honey. Right. But they um, would have to be dry to bake. You can't have, you can't, or maybe not. I guess you I don't know. Yeah. 
I mean, we, we put vanilla in, you know, almost every cake recipe. Um, and I recognize that we're not talking about like date bread or something. Cake recipes use vanilla. Um, right. And right. Well, and, and that's a good, that's a good question. And when, you know, when did it, when was there enough vanilla available yeah. in the Western hemisphere right. for it to become commonly put in cakes and, and confections? Right. And obviously none of us have, have any idea. Right. But, um, you know, right. we, re, we regarded it as a sort of something sort of basic, but you know, these basic things have to start somewhere. Right. And I, I kind of am interested in when, they stopped adding vanilla to wine. I guess when they figured out that you could get the same kind of notes in a more subtle way by putting it in, in oak. oak casks and the, the capability for making oak casks is probably quite ancient, but uh, you know, that had to start somewhere. Well, that gets, that gets back to your initial question observation of where in the winemaking process are we? Um, right. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Right. Right. And, and, and we're, oak, we're, is, we're, oak is available. Um, I don't yeah, know. But, when did the uh, Galilee get deforested? <laughs> right. To make, to make barrels. Right. For, uh, for, you know, are there coopers in ancient Israel? Right. Mm. Did they know what a stave was? <laughs> <laughs> right. And did they have the, uh, the hand-eye coordination to, you know, make these in a uniform and the technology to make these in a uniform kind of fashion in well, I guess all this, meaningful I, quantities. I mean, obviously we don't know anything about wine production in the Roman period, which there's, you know, huge tomes written on this. Right. So guess, and there's tons of it. Right. Exactly. And so it's going every which way. Then? I don't know. <laughs> we simply don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's an unsolved mystery. <laughs> Perhaps one of the most, you know, well understood technologies in in uh, classical in the ancient archaeology, world, yeah. but you have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we if we can set things back, then I think we we will do, we'll do that. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, well, I I don't think there's any evidence for for wooden casks in classical antiquity. But there's obviously gazillions of jars. Right. So things are being poured into jars, transported in jars, poured into other jars, mixed with water, mixed with seawater, mixed with God knows what else. Well, mixed to... with water, but not intentionally mixed with seawater. No, no. They, you, there, there are like classical flavors where you mix it with, mix certain wines with seawater. Well, what does that tell us about taste? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. Right. Right. People's, people's tastes in the past... Well, we don't want to generalize. <laughs> or do we? <laughs> I don't want to be. I don't. I don't want to be pejorative. But the the the, the no nasty you... the nasty mail is too much for me to bear. <laughs> you like what you like. Yeah. Well, that's the bottom line. That's the yeah. bottom line. Right. Got to write that. Got to write that down. <laughs> but, but but let me just go back to something we we already said. You know. So were they were they. Um, storage jars that were they making them you know this is, is this the um years in the wine cellar are they in these jars for years in the wine cellar or is this for transport or i don't know like you know were they putting them in in wooden barrels first no uh, well we don't think so because in in the classical period they weren't because yeah. in the classical period they weren't <clears throat> Okay. I, I think on the analogy of, you know, Armenian and Georgian yeah. wine manufacture today, there where they have these enormous, you know, 10 foot deep, wide, yeah. you know, ceramic things. It's something like that. And you make, you make it, it on site, you scoop out whatever you need for consumption or for transportation. And, uh, that's okay. what it is. It stays there. And then it, it either goes bad and turns into vinegar if you're not careful. Oh, that's that another gets, issue. And that gets mine. to your fermenting <clears throat> issue. Yeah. Fermenting. Yeah, yeah. actually. Actually, I'm sure at some point the residue people will be coming up with evidence for fermentation. Right. Right. And for, because it was everywhere. 
everything and everyone was fermenting in the past. <laughs> in, one, in one way or another. That's right. <laughs> Basically, the past smelled like, you know, two things, and one of them is like, you know, sourdough. Right. Starter. Right. That's just Literally, if it reeking. doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Right. It's right. one or the other. Yeah. And... Uh, <clears throat> And it would be nice if they could, uh, you know, well, they did that. <clears throat> they did that study of the, of the beer and they isolated some of the yeast from the mm. ceramic. So I think once the scientists are able to identify smaller and smaller molecules and mm-hmm. things, we'll, we'll have a much better conception of, of, flavor flavors and fragrances for one thing but also all of these um household processes and industrial processes and who's making what there and the sourdough gets made here and the wine gets made there and the vinegar and stored in this and the pickles and the olives and and then we'll have a full fuller picture a full palette Mm -hmm. yeah it'll and and then we can have a feast and (laughs) and (laughs) try all these recipes out well, there are these places where you can go and have a Roman style feast. Right. Okay. You know, or the medieval know. feast. Right. Exactly. Uh-huh. We can have a late Judean kingdom feast. Yeah. I wonder what that was like. Yeah. Well, we're, you know they were drinking vanilla wine. <laughs> right. 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 One step it, away from Boone's farm. <laughs> they only had strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Final thoughts? Drink it if you have it. Right. I'd, I'd be willing to drink. I'd be willing to try yeah. it. I don't I think I want to make it. it. Now. Yeah. yeah. I'd be curious. Right. But right. Well, if anyone out there listening wants to try it and send us a comment on how they like it, please. Or do. send us a, a, a bottle or, or a keg. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or a small ceramic vessel filled with <laughs> That's right. Or a large ceramic vessel. How do you put a big jug in the mail? <laughs> well, that's like taking soup over to your mother-in-law's house for for Passover. That's true. That's the <laughs> similar kind of transportation problem. Yeah. We, we should talk about transportation sometimes. It's true. Yeah, but not right now. Okay. Okay. Other final thoughts. Okay. Okay. Well, all I can say is, man, oh, Manischewitz, what a wine. So we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, educator in residence at the Savannah Music Festival, for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, the Cucamonga Winery, Cucamonga's oldest and possibly most beloved winery. To get in touch, leave us a comment or send us an email at thisweekintheancientneareast, all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.